0: Hello, it's Fangraphs Audio, Carson Stooley, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Friday appearance on a Monday. It's his weekly Friday appearance, except for scheduling reasons, occurring on a Monday. He's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Kyla McDaniel. As he does during uh, each of his appearances in the program, Kyla McDaniel, during this edition of Same, uh, analyzes all prospects. Of particular note, this week, the start of the uh, international signing period. The start of the international signing period is July 2nd on which date uh, players who are 16 from everywhere. Most relevantly, though, uh, the Dominican Republic and Venezuela are able to sign. Many of these deals, as uh, McDaniel reveals, have been confirmed for a, a year or more, uh, but they become official on July 2nd. Kyle McDaniel previews that. And not only does he preview or discuss uh, specific players, he also discusses in some depth how broken the system is uh, and uh, the specific ways in which it is broken. We get from Kyla McDaniel uh, as well a brief update, a status update, and some notable signings from the draft, which occurred a couple weeks ago. And finally, we have a conversation about the prep showcase uh, Kyla McDaniel recently attended in Fort Myers, Florida. That is the Perfect Game National Showcase in Fort Myers, Florida. We talk about some specific players from there and uh, the significance of that event uh, generally. Uh, as he does every week, Kylie McDaniel has this week provided a musical interlude. So what you will hear is the end of this introduction, followed by... Followed by that musical interlude, and then a conversation with Kyle McDaniel. This edition of Fangraphs Audio, which begins right now. Sorry, Kylie. Sorry, I c- you know what I just did uh, on your on the sortable international board that you created, the sortable July two board. What did you do? I, I um well, it is sortable. I sorted uh, I sorted by trainer.
1: Oh yeah, it's a fun one. It's mm-hmm. actually a couple of them. There's a couple corrections I had to make because I don't know if you but there is there's two players listed as Nina and then two players listed at Amari Nina. Who is the same person, and I recognize that, so i'm gonna it'll be up tonight well by the time people hear this,
0: oh okay, all right, yeah, and i don't uh <clears throat> these uh I would say that I follow the game uh, with some closeness, uh but you know these are a lot of a lot of these names are foreign to me
1: uh, uh banana no. shouldn't be
0: nope, it's not <laughs> you're right,
1: <laughs> he's got some of the best potassium in this j two class <laughs>
0: is it uh yeah, who is? Uh, I see. Yes, there's banana. Uh, represents, I guess, the 30 or is a trainer for the 34th ranked um, prospect. Of- we,
1: we we talked about him before because he's the guy that I laughed is sort of known among scouts in the Dominican as one of the, one of the best sort of swing guys. Like his his he he almost always has hitters and they almost always have good swings, which is not something you can say about most trainers. Okay. So he's And actually, he also. He. I remember one guy was asking. I was asking a guy at a showcase when it was, you know, like a couple hundred scouts there. And he he brings this up, and I was like, "Yeah, where is Banana?" And then a trainer walks by with a hat, and on the side of his hat had an embroidered bunch of bananas and the word "Banana." And he goes, "Pretty sure that's him." <laughs>
0: uh, what was it? Him.
1: It turns out it was. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: All right. Not just a clever. Yeah, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't
1: a, a, a interesting bit of misdirection. This isn't a John Lacare novel.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't well, like...
1: another, another thing I think I've mentioned before, maybe I haven't. There's uh, a program they gave out at the DPL event in the Dominican two years ago, which I don't think they've given out in subsequent years for the reason I'm about to tell you. It had a picture of all of the trainers and their real name and their nickname, and most teams don't know the real names for a lot of these guys. Like nobody knows Banana's real name. They just call him Banana and uh one of the scouts told me this is going to be used in so many uh paternity and uh child support cases <laughs> oh really is it cuz no there's no place that has a picture a real name and the name that they go by all in one place for like dozens of these guys <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: um this is this is a strange world it does yeah. not it will not fail to surprise you uh, because here's the thing like you have to give your full name you don't think give your nickname i guess but you do have to give your full name when you I you know, you order you order dog food on the internet. <laughs> and you, apparently you don't have to give your full name to uh you know, to participate in a pretty large uh transaction with a major league team as long as you are in the Dominican when you're doing it.
1: Yeah, well when- and Another another extension of that sort of peculiarity is uh, when it was explained to me one of my first few times down there that white people can't drive cars down there, and I was like, that is not the stereotype we have in America. It's actually, and I didn't correct them, and they were like, no, 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 like, you will get pulled over by the cops and shaken down for all the cash you have if they see a white guy in a car because they know you're sort of vulnerable and you're you know, almost certainly a tourist. And the only white guys down there that drive cars typically know the chief of police and can, like, drop his name and get out of anything and are fluent in Spanish, which is typically your international director type guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, like, the American agents coming down there or people like me or me. Um, And so when I was riding around the car, uh, I was saying, like, well, this place that we're going, we're going, you know, we're driving from 12 to 1230. I know exactly who this place is. I've been coming here the last three years. I could have driven here. Uh, but if I got lost, there wouldn't be, you know, somehow, you know, take a wrong turn or something. There wouldn't be a, you know, I couldn't pull up on my phone and figure it out. Like, is there some sort of company that tried to do navigation systems down here? Cause I hadn't seen one anywhere. It's like, yeah, one European company did cause there are a lot of European tourists in this general area around where all the baseball stuff is. Uh, but they didn't make it because there's no like formal correct, uh, uh, maps, And it's definitely not digitized and Mm -hmm. people weren't cooperating because they didn't want there to be a formal (laughs) map. And he was like, some of it is because some people are doing some illegal stuff. And so people not knowing where stuff is is better. And another part of it is there's like, uh, you know, like a, a community around we all know each other. We all help each other. If there's a weird outsider, we need to sort of, you know, consider what he's doing and all that. We don't want to make it super easy for him to be, you know, like a part of our group. Which I think is like commendable and also like a little xenophobic and a couple other things too. But yeah, I think that's another extension of just the, we got our own thing going on here, we don't want to make it easy for people to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I noticed there's someone named Azulito. Is that a name or is it just a, is it a little blue person? <laughs> yeah.
1: I would imagine that's why he was called that. And the funny thing is usually when I'll ask about these names, it'll be like, oh, he's a short guy always wearing the blue hat. Like it'll be something very simple like that. And like apparently there's a guy named uh Vampiro, and they go it's because he looks like a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was crazy. like, well, there you, there you go. You'll get points for creativity, but
0: <laughs> it is a nice. Do they uh do they have any nicknames for you down there? Besides, uh, I've
1: heard Gringo, yeah, <laughs> uh, but I don't think I don't think it's exclusively used on me. <laughs> I will say this. I don't think I've mentioned this before because I mean I don't like you know toot my own horn, but prepare for some tooting. Uh (laughs) Uh, I I had a friend with a team tell me uh, that their team, when I come up uh, in the draft room, uh, some people know me and know my name, and some other people just you know know me as like a guy they see at a game, but they don't know you know they don't talk to me or whatever. Uh, And so so that everyone would know who it was, they agreed to refer to me as Pasty Guy. (laughs) <laughs> and uh and when i mention this to that team scouts they all kind of laugh because they think it's hilarious yeah which right now i actually have i think what constitutes for me a tan because i was out in the sun in fort myers for so long but it's starting to wear off now
0: yeah so how's this uh where are we at with the the sortable board well, well today we should say we're recording this on monday which is june 30th uh july 2nd is thursday two days uh, three days away
1: and this podcast will probably go up, what, like July 15th? <laughs>
0: That'd be nice to review, yeah. Uh, no, uh, either tonight or tomorrow, yeah.
1: Uh, okay. Well, yeah, well, well, i
0: will. Uh, yeah, I'll work on it tonight. What is the, I, tell me what's going on with the board?
1: Well, there's an update that's pending. I have four, I think I have two new players, uh, both from the Asian markets. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't have any Asian players on there, and now there's two. Uh, and there are a couple of little changes. Like I think I edited some of the uh, some of the agent names, maybe adjusted one of the prices, you know, a couple of little things here and there. Uh, but yeah, I guess the mo- more notable thing would be adding uh, two Asian players who were both tied to the same team, uh, and it's one of the teams that's spending a bunch of money. So I'll, I'll leave. Well, I guess people by the time they're hearing probably click over and see it. But that's the that's the big change.
0: Okay. Uh, let's see. I, I notice also. Oh yeah, well yeah. One question with regard to Asian players: they're subject to the same sort of international uh, rules as uh, well as all these guys, right? Uh, it's the same. It's the same idea.
1: Wait, who who is subject to the same Asian
0: rules? Asian Asian ball players? Oh yeah, players?
1: yeah, It's they they don't sign until they're eighteen uh, in almost every case, and like the Japanese players, they have like an agreement that MLB doesn't try to take the Japanese players away from the Japanese leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh except in I think very, very rare cases, I think maybe one or two players this week through. But when we when, when one of the American teams tried to sign one of their better players, it turned into this the whole like uh you may remember with the Orioles in Korea, I believe it was. Yes. It was like a player that had been I forget all the details, but it was like a team a player that was like tied to a team or was gonna go high in like the draft for one of the local leagues and they tried to sign him without like first checking with the league and they were like, You'll never be able to scout games in this country again. Like it was like that level of stuff. So, yeah, that that's a little – there's some rhetoric there. So the Asian uh, players
0: that, that, about whom you're talking right now, are these going to be older, slightly older players then?
1: Uh, yeah, generally they'll be 18. Like uh, Hak-Chu Lee got a bunch of money. He got seven figures out of Korea.
0: Oh, yeah. How uh, come, how come well, the Rays signed him, right? I mean, years
1: ago. Well, the Cubs did, and they traded him in the uh, Matt Garza deal right. along with Chris Archer. So it didn't work out very well. Um, and Jin-ho Sang, who is with the Cubs, got 1.6 three years ago when they went ballistic and spent a bunch of money. Uh, and he's you know on their prospect list. I think he was like 15 or 20 or something like that on the list.
0: So why were the Cubs allowed to sign like Lee, for example, and why? Is it- well, I
1: yeah, I guess I don't know the rules inside and out, but I'm under the impression that the Japanese guys are basically off limits, and uh, the Korean players are sometimes <laughs> in limits. Okay. Right. And then also there's a Taiwan player this year uh, that's going to get some money, and there's a you know. A, you know, five hundred thousand or more Taiwanese player. You know, every couple of years, and this year is a pitcher that's, you know, was apparently I was actually just writing the report on him today. It's one of the guys I added. Uh, was in the old league World Series, hit a home run in the championship game. Uh, pitched against the USA team with all the high school players, with like Brady Aiken and like four or five other first round picks on it. So he's been around for a while. He's been known, and he'll get a lot more money than the uh, than the Korean player put on there, who is a sort of first base left field kind of guy.
0: That, uh, you mentioned the, that the uh, Little League World Series that, does that represent an actual scouting opportunity for? I mean, that's young.
1: Yeah, usually not. I mean, well, in you know general cases, I've talked about how the Dominican players typically like the very very beginning of even the trainers figuring out who the good players are starts at twelve. So it gives you an idea of in a market where you sign at sixteen, which is not true of the Asian markets. Uh, 12 is about as early as you can really tell anything. And if you're a scout trying to figure out who the best guy is, like 13 and probably 14 more likely is when you can you know, really start pegging these guys down, which is, I guess, drives with the thing I wrote earlier today about how messed up the market is. Part of it is because scouts think they've got a shot at identifying these guys at 14, uh, which emboldens them to make their decisions at 14 that they should be making closer to 16.
0: Right, but if they made them closer to 16, then that player wouldn't be available anymore. Uh, yes. True or false? Right. Right.
1: Yes, that is the reason. If only one team was trying to do this, then yeah, and they couldn't sign everybody, then the other teams would just stick where they were. But yeah, other other teams are doing it.
0: So right, this, this is you were referring now to a piece you wrote uh, for this afternoon uh, called "Signing uh, Signing July Second Players" has gotten even more complicated. Um, one of the, the sort of main uh, features about this uh, this thing that you reveal is that. As I guess what uh, major league baseball has instituted some um some constraints um to the point where you can you 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 can't start negotiating with the player until January is that right, or is that sort of faintly the idea yeah sure <laughs> what well, i mean it is faintly the idea right because uh um the more emphasis that has been placed on international signing uh it it appears as though. Uh, teams have agreements in place with players. I mean, what are you saying? Like upwards of a year in advance?
1: Uh, yeah, over a year. Uh, the three of the top five players for next year have been done for months.
0: For next year, for next July second.
1: Yep, one of them uh was done. I think two months ago.
0: And so that kid right now, that kid right now clearly is not more than what he's what? Fifteen? 15? He's fifteen.
1: 15? Yeah, I believe uh, right around 15. So right. the old, a lot of the best players are, you know, would turn, or you know, the oldest they could be in the class, so they would be turning 16 in like, you know, September, October. Uh, but yeah, the, there's always a good number of players that are January through sort of July, August birthdays also that, you know, basically turn 16 when they sign. Okay. And so yeah. those guys, and so those guys are 14 when they get done, you know, really early.
0: Right, and th- and that's one of the things you mentioned is that. If in order to officially sign a guy, to to officially sign him at 16, you know after July 2nd, you're, you're mentioning that many of not we'll say I don't know if it's many or not, but certainly a non-negligible quantity of these deals are, have been agreed upon over a year in advance, which means that the uh, the scouts and and certainly the trainers have been acquainted with the players for at least a year. Before that, so you're going back to the point of time, and you just you just invoke this age, but you're going back to a point of time when this kid was 13, 12 or 13.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, that was the point I made today was if you're the team making the decision on the kid when you know the later stages of his age 14 year, that means you're probably courting the family when they're 13.
0: And so, and so uh, now one of the things you point out is that um, I mean, as hard as it is even to tell if it. A prospect even if they're a triple a you don't know you have all of the data you're able to watch that player play every day you might say this is one of the top prospects in baseball and yet it, and yet it does it does not materialize for that player right I mean you know like um you know you know delman young jeremy hermida uh dewan Brazelton was dewan Brazelton ever a top a top uh, prospect I don't know.
1: He was the number four pick in the draft, so okay. I would assume. So, so
0: right. So that represents, you know, at least something along those lines, right? Someone at, le- at some point thought enough of him to take him. Then, uh, um, <clears throat> so even if you know that about about a player, or even if you know you've, you cannot really assess accurately a player's skills, uh, just one level below, I imagine. I mean, this is this is sort of impossible. At the same time, um as we've already mentioned teams that don't sign the players early will will probably never have an opportunity to sign so what, what do you i guess i guess first of all do you ever envision do you ever envision a scenario in which all of the teams are, are coming to agreements with all of the players so young at such a young age that they've invested or committed so many of their dollars at such a young age that another team that has just simply waited uh, will have will have the best opportunity to sign to sign these young players
1: yeah, and yeah, I guess that's one of the the points I made was you can either try to commit to you know one of the top, say fifteen or twenty players. You, you mean at that point you don't know where he's going to land. You just know he's somewhere in there, and say give him a million and a half and hope he turns into a two and a half million dollar guy by the time he signs. You get like some good you know pub or you know some dap in the industry, and then there's a chance he turns into a five hundred thousand dollar player in that time, uh, or you know just happens to be injured so just sort of obscures whatever his talent is. Or you can wait until the end, uh, you know, say about a month or two ago and go scoop up three of those guys that you thought were going to get a million five. One of the guys you were considering that just, you know, happened to, you know, be the guy left over in the game of musical chairs or they turned down a million five and now would settle for 750 or whatever the story is, uh, you could get two, maybe even three of those guys for the same price. And at one point they all looked about the same. And we're talking about, you know, stock changing between being 15 and a half and 16. Like, it's not like, you know, stock changing when they're in AAA, it turns out they can't hit a curveball. Like, this is still so early that, you know, it's going to change 10 more times. Right. But, uh, you know, that means that the players that you get are dictated by the players people don't want or have passed on or made some bad decisions uh, about, you know, accepting bonuses and stuff. Uh, so, you know... You're putting your reputation and possibly your job and you know three million dollars with somebody else's money based on who happens to fall to the cracks, which isn't appealing when you never know who that's going to be until you know two months before. Uh, especially when you can look at some of the guys maybe you were targeting early and it turns out they end up getting a lot better and you're like, oh, man, I should have should have signed that guy that I liked. You know, I'm just stuck with these guys I don't like now.
0: now obviously the the Dodgers and and uh, their strategy uh, is is pretty clear. Just, just keep spending money. Um, other teams. I mean, what the the Yankees? Was it was it last year when the Yankees went uh, millions of dollars over?
1: Yep, they spent I believe thirty something million when you add up all of the uh, all the penalties and stuff. And their pool was I believe two and a half million. Right. Yeah,
0: um, but you just mentioned this other like hypothetical strategy. I'm wondering if if you have any idea of sort of a signature approaches that other teams have besides maybe the most you know the the ones that we know are spending the most money are there other teams that have different way of going about it
1: yeah i should also mention that with Moncada being added to i think it was eight or ten million for the red Sox, that they ended up actually spending more than the yankees they went 40 something something like that a lot of Uh, Moncada, yeah yeah he he ended up being over three quarters of it but yeah they ended up going 40 on bonuses which would be 80 total which is more than double what the yankees spent um yeah, so I guess it's uh, – I wrote about how the Cubs uh were seen as going to go nuts. And some fans were saying like, oh, well, looking at your rankings, it appears the Cubs decided to go for a lot of mid-tier guys. And I'll, I'll pull up the board. But I have them tied to like, I don't know, 12 play- – like a lot of players. And they're all on the board. They're all getting some money. They all have some talent. Like I like them all at some level but they didn't have anybody in like i think 17th was the highest rank 18th is the highest ranked guy that they have according to my rankings mm-hmm. obviously they differ um, but the uh, the fan was like oh so the, you know what do you think about the cubs strategy to go for mid tier guys i was like i don't think anyone plans on spending you know you know 12 million maybe 25 million total and like <laughs> plans to just skip the top 10 or 15 players like i Whether they think now they didn't get the top tier guys or they thought at the time they weren't they were getting the top tier guys, like I don't know where that whole thing went, but at some point they did not try to go for the mid tier guys and hand out that much money. It just ended up or it ends up that it appears that way to me and I would say a good number of other scouts at this point. We don't know how it's gonna end up and I wasn't following as closely enough if I could tell you where it was, you know, a year ago when, you know, some of these presumably were, you know, getting done. So that's one. Obviously the Dodgers are just sign everybody. And they came in late enough. A lot of these guys had deals already. So they basically kind of snapped up a couple of the guys that were still available. And then a couple of Cubans and Lucius Fox from the Bahamas kind of popped up late. And it looks like they're going to scoop all three of them up. And there are, I think, seven Cubans that I don't have on this list but would be on it. Uh, they're basically waiting for one more email from MLB to be declared eligible. And there's probably five of them that will get, you know, multi-million dollars, probably under 10, somewhere in that, like, you know, two to seven range. And you have to assume that the Dodgers will sign at least half of those guys too. Um, so that's yeah, that's an interesting strategy. that The internet seems to really like as a strategy, but if you're not a Dodgers fan, you seem to not really like it. Uh, the Mets had an interesting strategy. They got their guys really early and got really good prices on both of them, and both of them seem to get better in the estimation of scouts. Now,
0: re- the minute, uh, this is uh, Andres Jimenez.
1: He's from Venezuela, shortstop. Yeah, I have him six. and then uh, Gregory Guerrero, who is the I believe cousin of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and nephew of Vlad Sr. and they're both being trained by Vlad's brother Wilton Guerrero. I believe I got all the relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have him ranked ninth and together they're making 3.05 million and there's guys ranked behind them getting over 3.05 million and they got two of them. So. Kudos to the Mets so far. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm hesitant to say kudos to them because it's me deciding how good these guys are at 16, but so far it looks like they did really good. Did really and good. another guy that the Mets got a couple years ago, Ahmed Rosario. I still have scouts walking up to me and telling me, I saw him when he was 16. We really wanted him. A couple teams told me they thought they had a deal with him or they were close, and I just saw him in high A when he's still a teenager, and he's very talented. This
0: is uh, uh, another player in the Mets system. Or, yeah, I had back. him.
1: I I had him, I think, 50-something on my top 200, and he hadn't even played in full season ball yet, and then he skipped low A, went to high this year, and has been holding his own as a teenager. So obviously that one went pretty well for the Mets, too, although I think that was a different international regime. So Mets fans should feel good about those three guys. Sure. Um, There's a couple teams like the Braves and I think the Phillies, the Twins, that it looks like they're basically going to trade for the maximum amount of space they can, which is an additional 50% over your pool. And then basically spend all of that money. Uh, cause they're committed to more than their pool, but not so much more that they can't, that they're gonna go into the penalty. And it looks like there's three or four teams that are gonna do a version of that. It looked at one point like the Rangers were gonna go over because they were basically at the edge of their pool and were shopping in some deep waters for some players. And then it, either they didn't get them or changed their tack. And so now they may be one of those teams that's gonna go over next year since they, you know, it sounds like they got a little bit of a start trying to get sort of the top, top end guys, uh, later in the process rather than earlier. Are there are there teams
0: that are just uh, totally absent from uh, from inter- from international scouting or at least in Latin America?
1: Yep, uh, the Tigers typically don't spend big money on bonuses. They gave one guy a million dollars, I think, like five or six years ago. It's been just okay, and since then, I don't think they've gone over five or six hundred thousand. But they get some. I mean, they have good Latin players every year. They just their strategy seems to be don't go over five or six hundred thousand. Uh, the Orioles, uh, are a little different in that they don't create a lot of Latin talent in their farm system. They don't spend a lot of money on individual bonuses. They don't spend a lot of money at all. Uh, they're, they're probably the sort of least engaged at that level. And then the Marlins also don't spend a lot of money. I don't think they've gone over five or six hundred thousand in recent years and they typically focus on the 17, 18, 19 year old older Class, which are obviously also less expensive. And I think try to find, you know, the late blooming reliever guy that hit 95 on the island, sign him, send him straight to low A and see what you have because it only costs you, you know, 20 grand. They seem to be sort of shopping in those waters and, you know, they found Marcelo Zuna. They found a bunch of hard throwing relievers that have, you know, Archimedes Comanero and Jahan Marinez that throw really hard and some make the big league, some don't, but they, you know, they get guys that are on prospect lists. Uh, so they, they get, they get Jarlin Diaz a couple other guys that are on the list now that are you know doing pretty well, so yeah, I would say the Tigers and Marlins typically go lower on the bonus end but end up finding their players, and then the Orioles seem to be uh less uh interested in all of those things
0: uh, <clears throat> there are obviously um, some questionable human rights tactics uh involved in this entire and many, we, many
1: of them surrounding the Cuban market, but I'd say plenty on the July 2 market, too.
0: Right. Yeah. Or just I don't even if it's not rights necessarily, at least decency is. Um, yeah, uh, I guess. Here's my question is, as a. Um, as a person sitting at his desk in New England, how uh, how horrified should, should I be? And then I guess um, specifically by what elements of it should I be most horrified?
1: Hmm. This is a very NPR-style question.
0: <laughs> what that doesn't guess, affect just, me? Yes. should i be
1: most scared of. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Tell me think about 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 what elements should um should I feel the most outrage? Like, a, like sort of impotent outrage though that I will only ever bring up in conversation occasionally, but not actually do anything.
1: Yeah, cocktail party conversation. Yeah. you can like one up somebody with a more egregious. Yeah. 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 That's uh, exactly what I should tell you is. Uh, there's something that may kill you in your refrigerator. Tune in later to learn more.
0: Oh no! What is it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's peanut butter. How? It's always peanut butter. Is it peanut butter? Yeah. If you dump battery acid into it, then it's peanut butter. Oh. Um. So yeah, I guess the the tweet that I sent out about the article I posted today was there's a lot of things to be uh, I don't know upset or concerned about in the you know the signing process here's some of the newer ones, like some of the things that have popped up in the last year or two mm-hmm. uh, there's this sort of standard long running uh, kids being shot up with steroids uh, you know lying about their ages, which isn't necessarily terrible just sort of a you know a desperate attempt to get paid right. um, just boy you know, are
0: you so- saying like just boilerplate exploitation is that what we're doing yeah
1: just the just the boring stuff but I mean this is stuff that was reported like in the 90s and it still happens MLB's done it. I'd say a better than I would have expected job at cracking down on it, but to think that it doesn't happen is pretty naive. And there was a, there's actually a guy in this class that throws uh, really hard. I think I've seen into the mid nineties and I was asking some teams like, I figured somebody would give him, you know, six, seven hundred thousand and they're like, well, his trainer has shot up players before. Uh, so we're a little dubious about, he's had guys that have hit 95 as 15, 16 year olds and then throw 88 to 90 in pro ball. So everybody's a little wary of this guy. And, uh, it, it's sentences like that that make you wonder, <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Because mm-hmm. at some level, me hyping these kids, you know, makes this more possible, I suppose, but it's not like the money from Teams wasn't gonna be there. It's, you know, I guess it makes the fans more aware of it. So yeah, you you get your as you said the boilerplate exploitation of just sort of you know lying about ages and sometimes the agents will falsify the stuff and not even tell the kid just tell them tell everyone you're 15 this is your new birthday this is your new last name or this is you know use your brother's name or you know whatever sometimes the family doesn't doesn't tell the agent and the agent has to go do a background check and figures it out and then dumps the kid as a client I know a couple guys that have done that recently Um, and then some of the stuff I talked about in the article today about how there's these package deals where Say a player's worth 800000 the agent will package them where the player worth 800000 only gets through 400000 These other players that aren't as good but they have a bigger cut of will get a bonus that they don't deserve, and then the agent does this so that he can get the cut, a bigger cut, and usually the cut he would have gotten if he would have accepted the big bonus that he turned down earlier in the process. And then it's supposed to then, the money's supposed to then be uh, reallocated to the kids based on their talent. It doesn't always happen, and even if it happens, say, more than 50% of the time, you've got, you know, third world country families that this kid is their way to get this amount of money to kind of get them out of poverty, and it's contingent on some other really poor family giving them money that they can't really afford to give up either. Also, the Buscone, who is not poor at all in almost every case, that you know, a guy that does that sort of deal, isn't a poor guy. Um so that he can cover for his mistake and sort of save face on his, you know, bookkeeping, which is, you know, it's more like, you know, third world guy with, you know, middle to upper middle class taking advantage of third world, lower class. Like it, it seems pretty far removed. Uh And, you know, sometimes the whole financial transaction works out and the Buscone figured out, a, you know, a fancy way to, you know, get everybody what they wanted. Although I guess less money in total goes to the kid <laughs> anyway. But... um yeah, it makes you pause, and that, and com, combined with the Mexican league, which the kid only gets 25% of the bonus that the team pays, the the uh, Mexican team gets 75%, and that's regardless of how long the Mexican team actually had his rights, which could have been just a few months. And there's a lot of pressure within communities there, especially if the Mexican team sees a big payday coming mm-hmm. to get the kid signed up, you know, and they'll you know throw in some you know things to uh, you know make it more likely that the kid will sign up. And you know then he gets twenty five percent of his bonus, and nLB seems to be sanctioning this because they only count twenty five percent of the bonus toward your pool so if you're uh you know if you're the Tampa Bay Rays and you're in the penalty and you want to sign some million dollar players and you have a couple million dollars in your budget, but your bonus pool says you can only uh spend three hundred thousand on a player, uh there's two pretty easy ways to get a couple million dollar players maybe
0: to to invest in the the Mexican
1: market. You can either, yeah, you can go after one of the, you know, kind of one every year or two million dollar Mexican players, which there's one this year, or you can just do some package deals, which I outlined in the article I was actually told yesterday. Uh, there is one of the teams that will be in the penalty next year that has a deal with a mil- roughly million dollar player for next year, 12 months from now, mm-hmm. uh, which they refer to as three threes, which is, uh, you're, you're worth a million dollars, so we'll give you three, we'll give your two friends here three, and then they'll give you almost all of that. And then you're at a million dollars. And now we get a million dollar player. Isn't that great? And th- I thought this sort of thing would only happen, you know, say two, three months before the signing period, because that's when the kid figures out what his market is. This one was done more than a year in advance. <laughs> and the team that was telling me about this said, I think we're going to go in and offer 1.2 million. And I go, well, what if that team the penalty offers another kid 300,000 and all of a sudden they're at 1.2 also? But it's, you know, more of it is given to players that the agent has a bigger cut of, so their 1.2 is worth more than your 1.2. Does that make you mad that they managed to find $900,000 and make it appear out of nowhere so they could beat you? And he's like, yeah, it kind of sucks, but if I was in his position, I'd be doing the same thing, so what am I supposed to do?
0: Is there a, is there a reason, but you mentioned that um, uh, Wilton Guerrero is one of the, the trainers. Uh, and he's, He uh, represents uh, Vladimir Guerrero. That's his nephew, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Is there any reason to think that the way, because also Wilton Guerrero played in the major leagues. Um, I don't yep. he necessarily have a long career, but he played. Um, also,
1: another another trainer with a bunch of names on there is Carlos Guillen, and it's the Carlos Guillen you know. And well, that's he's the actual the Carlos big, Guillen. He's one of the big guys in Venezuela. He's also got one. Of, I mentioned the top five guys for next year. He's got one of those guys for next year.
0: Okay, so well, let's start with the first one. So a player like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., one assumes that he does not necessarily have to. He's not necessarily grown up in the same sort of poverty that a lot of a lot of the other July second type players uh, have done. Correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, it is that. um, I wonder, like, is there reason to believe that the the way that Wilton Guerrero, because he himself has also had some success, is there any reason to believe that it would be uh, uh, um, sort of um, more um, more ethically reasonable?
1: Uh, yes, I would say in a similar way that Daz, nobody thought Daz Cameron in the most recent draft high school player, son of Mike Cameron, no one thought he wanted to go to college or would go to college or would even go to a junior college. But, uh, so normally you would think that means all of his leverage has disappeared to ask for a big number, but his dad is worth, I would say tens of millions of dollars conservatively. And he said he wants 4 million. And if you think that family can't afford to walk away from your paltry $2 million offer, then you're crazy and a bunch of teams that could have offered him two or maybe even three million passed on him because they knew he would turn that down because he said he won four. And then obviously the Astros had figured out a way to get four, and they offered him four, and today he signed for four. So I guess in the same way, you could probably pull some shenanigans with some of these players, especially if they're projected to make a million or less. But with the Vladimir Guerrero and Gregory Guerrero, uh, you got to be a little more straightforward, and it's probably a little more about relationships than mm-hmm. it is... You know, pure money at some point. Because whatever number you, you know, offer to them, say, a year in advance, somebody's going to top it at some point. And so the key is to hope it's not so much higher that they feel like they have to back out of your deal and take the new one. Or, or that even if it is that much more, that they want to stick with you because they like you. Because obviously the difference in the money isn't going to necessarily change their lifestyle.
0: What's the, uh, yeah, what happened? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Daz Cameron, uh, as you noted, it was sort of widely believed he didn't want to go to college. He could have, though. Um, Yeah. Or go to junior college. If a if a certain player in um, in the Dominican is looking for X number of dollars and doesn't receive it, and yet he's still acknowledged to be a top prospect, what sort of recourse does he have? Or is he just sort of at the at the whims of the market at that point? Is he yeah, a victim of it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it's, yeah, uh, no. Well, that's one of the things to point out in the article today. Is if you go down the list and you're you know you go to number seventeen, Alvaro Sejas. Uh he signed for seven twenty five seven twenty five thousand. The guy ahead of him got two million, the guy behind him got two million. When I saw him at the big showcase, I thought he was gonna get a million and a half or two million. Why did he not get that much? Apparently I was told he turned down seven figures at one point and this is the best he could get.
0: Oh really. So what yeah. uh is there is, is there any um precedent for a player being passed over and uh then maybe just uh then moving to the States or calling up, you know, uh tim corbin coach of vanderbilt and being like oh hola um (laughs) you guys gotta go to your college and play you know play baseball i mean does anything like that happen
1: i don't know of the only players i know that have sort of had the opportunity to be in that sort of market and ended up going to college uh like i believe i want to say jose cruz jr was at one point on track to be a july 2 player and ended up going to rice it was typically in a you know more privileged environment where they right, his dad played,
0: of course his dad had played in the majors
1: so yeah had had some options uh, and I think there every year there's a handful of players that either a, a handful of players over like a five year period like I know last year there was a named Pedro Gonzalez that signed for seven figures with the Rockies that was fluent in English and I believe I was told that was because he had some like family in New York that he would like visit and so he was like giving interviews to like the media that was there in English. And that's obviously you know a very good thing. And there's also like Alex uh Alex Reyes with the Cardinals that you know I just saw through a hundred a couple weeks ago. He was born in New Jersey and then moved to the Dominican and he was an English speaker as well. Um, so the there I do not think there has been a player that didn't get the money they wanted in July two and then just moved to America and entered the sort of draft process. Uh because typically if there is a player that has that option educationally or, you know, bilingual wise, uh, they kind of know, let me just take my money and do it and this will open some doors for me. I don't need to squeeze every dollar out of this. Mm-hmm. That's typically the way those sorts of players t- tend, to, tend to handle it from what I know. And there's uh, there's other examples too, like, uh the, uh, the Rangers the year before the pools were instituted spent, I think close to 15 million and there were no penalties then, so it's just a straight 15 million. They gave No More Mazzara five million or four point nine five or something like that, and he looked like a bust for a couple years, and then obviously he's since put it together. He was, I think, in about the middle, uh, around forty or fifty on my top two hundred list. He'll probably be a little higher than that next year. Uh, they, that was the guy they gave the most money to. All the guys in the middle haven't really done a whole lot yet, and then I think the lowest bonus they gave that was, you know, you know wasn't five or ten thousand was uh, Dor who got something like 325 or 400, and he was seen as a million-dollar guy. And he actually came to America and played in one of the draft showcases uh, right after the draft because he didn't have, like, a set-aside number on July 2. And he was like, all right, well, I don't have my, my deal set up. It's, you know, June 15th. I'm going to go to the showcase in America and get seen by some people. And I think he signed a couple months after that for not that much money, and then he just turned into the best prospects. Uh, and he's the same age as Mazar. He's, like, in that same class. Um, so there's – there's some interesting different paths players can take, but the you know if, if the people that want to make the case that the, you know the draft should be a bigger event or on TV or whatever because you know the, some of these players like you know Kyle Schwarber could be in the big leagues the next year. The the path for the guy that's not a high profile signing that becomes a huge prospect a year or two later doesn't really happen. And so Odor was like a, quite the uh, the outlier. And like most of these guys that aren't the sort of Cuban uh, players, like we're talking the. Four and a half million and under 16 year olds, you're probably not going to hear their names in any meaningful way for like at least two years. Right,
0: right, right. Hmm. Well, uh, I, I, do, I also want to ask you about some of the, um, well, both, because you've seen some showcases recently and um, some MLB draft stuff, just to recap that. Uh, is there anything else that uh, we, we absolutely need to address about the you know, July 2nd before we move on?
1: I have this board. Have we talked about that? Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's uh, I understand that it's sortable and able to be sorted. Is, that, is that all is that true?
1: Uh, yeah. Somebody saw that in my article and they're like, "Uh, there is no way that Cecili isn't the one that wrote that." <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Having fun. We're having fun. Just having fun. Okay. There is a yes. Please do note if you are listening to this. Oh, and look at you can click over to the draft board from it. <laughs> oh, yep. that is fantastic.
1: I yes. I asked uh, our dork overlord uh, Dave Appleman about the the hits. I was kind of curious on the numbers. Yeah. And he said it counts as a hit every time you sort. So hey, just start sorting like crazy, kids.
0: I've sorted like three times even since we've been since we've See, been there we go. You're yeah. just a compulsive sorter. A lot of, a lot of actions. Yeah. I talk to my doctor about that, or go blind in the meantime.
1: Yeah. If you if you sort for more than four hours, you should consult <laughs> your doctor. Consult a physician. Talk to yeah. a physician. Whoa. Whoa, boy, you've got some problems.
0: Yeah. Don't talk to a metaphysician though he's not going
1: to help you. I mean this has gone off the rails officially with that comment.
0: we uh, all right uh, uh, okay brief um, briefly returning to the draft the last time we spoke I think it was primarily about the draft. Uh, have there been any uh, have there I guess there's been any notable signings or non signings, etc you mentioned uh, the Das Cameron signed today for four million dollars. Um, he was the, as
1: expected. Yeah.
0: The only 37th overall pick that you will ever predict correctly, I think. Is that right?
1: <laughs> yep. Never gonna happen again. And, I might uh, not even predict another guy there, just just to be sure that I keep my sterling record.
0: So, uh, so th- was well, that's good. That's good for the Astros. It sounds like it's good for Daz Cameron. He got the amount of money uh, he wanted. I don't know if it's the amount of money he deserved. Let the market
1: decide. Let the market decide. I'm not fighting you. Go <laughs> okay, ahead. Yeah. Well, let it let it decide. I'm the I'm the guy that wants the draft to be like how July two used to be, where you you give certain teams a you know a hard cap, like mm-hmm. it's not completely like July two. You give them a hard cap, which would be you know their are signing pools for this year, and everybody's a free agent. Just I'm into do, it. Get, do away with the picks, and then you know like the best team in baseball, their pool would be two point one million or three or whatever it is, and they basically couldn't sign the top five players, which is in keeping with the, but you know in keeping with sort of the the spirit behind the picks. But if, like, for instance, they were to offer all of their draft picks to the team picking eighth overall, and they didn't like their options there, they may take it, and that's, like, an option that's now available. Now, I'm sure the, you know, the, maybe the players in know the teams wouldn't like the idea that the team that, you know, wins the World Series could go get the eighth overall pick, and then just kind of have a one-man draft. Yeah, I'm sure they probably wouldn't like that, but, uh, then that just means step your game up, teams. Make yourself more attractive to these players, or offer them more money. Yeah. Step your games up.
0: Your respective your, col- your collective game zone. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Doug, no, back back to the to, uh, specifics regarding the draft signees, etc. Um, any uh, anything notable from that? Everyone sort of signing for what uh, what we would have expected. Is that right?
1: Yeah, no huge surprises. Uh, any big yeah.
0: non signings to this point, or players who look like they won't be signing?
1: Yeah, it's mostly I'd say just college players that probably just want some time off, mm-hmm. uh, and I would imagine they already have deals in place. Uh, obviously, when you get picked that high in the sort of CBA environment, you at least have an understanding about where a guy will go and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I, it doesn't appear to me that after you draft a guy between getting drafted and getting signed, I don't I don't find a lot of intrigue there.
0: Right, the, uh. Cause, Cause,
1: even the Daz Cameron thing, I would have told you it was 95% he signs for $4 million at some point in the next month just because you don't take the guy there unless you know that's gonna happen. Or that's got, you know, a 90% chance of happening.
0: Alex Bregman, uh, was assigned, uh, that he, I should say Alex Bregman the, you no,
1: know,
0: where, where, where the hell was he picked? What do you think?
1: Second Two. overall? Yep.
0: Does that sound about right?
1: Well, I'm looking at the sortable draft board so I can confirm that.
0: Alex, <laughs> Alex Bregman, uh, he was uh, assigned to the Houston Astros' uh, Class, a, uh, Class A team, which is in uh, the Quad Cities, maybe. Does that sound about right? And he already I, has a hit and a home run in 16-plate appearances.
1: I, I will trust you on that. I should remind you that the Quad City DJs are the one who brought us the great song, The Train.
0: Okay. And uh, Chris Keck.
1: Come on and ride that train, Carson. Yeah. Come on ride that train.
0: Yeah, you can ride it. Chris Keck, uh, a great start. With the Grand Junction
1: Rockies or whatever they're called. Look at that. That's where Brendan Rodgers is also.
0: Yes, yes, they're playing, uh, playing beside each other. Uh, one strikeout for Chris Keck. And you were
1: three. beside yourself about how they were beside each other. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, Chris Keck, I think the first game he started, uh, granted, he's, you know, he's a 22 year old playing rookie ball, but he was batting like ninth or something, and now he is uh, routinely, he's already become their cleanup hitter.
1: Destroying the league. Is this the part of the podcast where we just surf the internet and read what we're looking at?
0: No, but no, no. <laughs> Chris Keck was. I just wanted to remind remind everyone, Chris Keck. Uh,
1: yes, you should you should uh, make some gifts of him. Player everyone
0: enthusiastic. Maybe I should do that. I think actually, uh, Grand Junction's games are televised, so I will mean, look into that. I'll look into that. All right, uh, there's nothing. Not much to say there. Uh, finally, let's turn to your time. Um, you were not able to. To do the pod what, a week and a half ago would have been your normal sort of uh, Friday spot. You to, was, to be
1: fair, I tried and you told me to stop trying.
0: I did tell you that. Well, we had Dane on and then I had to travel. Um, uh, <clears throat> you um, you were at a oh wait a kind of a long showcase. It seemed to go on for days, four or five days.
1: I, yeah, it was either five or six. It was a long time.
0: Wow. And uh, so tell me t- tell me the name of it, and then uh, tell me what sort of players are there, and we'll get you know, we'll get into that.
1: It was the Perfect Game National Showcase. Uh, Perfect Game is the company that puts on many of these events that I talk about casually, such as the one going on right now called Marietta. I don't know why it's called that and not, you know, I guess some people call it East Cobb. It's it's the 18 or, and 17 new uh, sort of travel team tournaments. No, no BP, no infield, none of the sort of showcase elements, just games. Uh, and then there's another one, kind of the same thing that happens in Jupiter every year in October, that everyone just calls Jupiter. And it's the 18U Worldwood Bat Association, whatever it's called. We just call it Jupiter. Uh, but that's the thing that basically after the summer's over of all these sort of showcase events, we get like another opportunity to see these guys, you know, playing games to, you know, further give us these looks that the July 2 guys don't always get. And, uh, this, Perfect Game National, is always the first event on the showcase schedule. It happens right after the draft. I think what, some of the recent years it happens like a day or two after the draft ends. This year, it was more like a week. Uh, but it ends up, I think it was 300 and something players split into 12 teams and they have a very, uh, militaristic approach to it where they'll be like, all right, first four teams, they're going to, all take BP. They're all going to take infield and outfield and throw and the catchers will throw. They're all going to run the 60 and we'll do it for four teams at a time. So they do three sets of those full workouts that take a couple hours each. Uh, and then once you know, once they do that, then we'll have, you know, 10-minute break, it's never a long break, and then they'll play three or four games in a row, split over a few days, and then go do another set of workouts for those next four teams.
0: Oh, well, let me ask and, you a question. By, by what logic are players assigned to teams? How does that work?
1: Uh, It's typically sort of geographically. So, like, the teams are often coached by some travel team coaches, and so, like, you know, one of the coaches for one of the big teams in Florida, most of his players that are coming will be on his team. Uh, but then they sort of, you know, but that's, you know, no more than six or seven of the guys and there's, you know, 20 or 25 on each team. Uh, and so then they'll sort of fill in the rest based on what days they can be there because there's an event that happens right after it. And so the players going to that event typically won't be in the last group. Uh, and then obviously you need certain positional requirements and things like that. But then there's not like any sort of competition about the, the white team beat the gold team. Uh, it's just, this is the, this is the way we organize it so the games can happen.
0: Right. And so sometimes, so what, yeah, well, so what if a kid's like, I'm a shortstop and the coach is like, you're playing first base.
1: Well, that's the other thing is they rotate. So even a guy that'll go in the first round as a shortstop, I, I never paid super close attention, but I believe the rotation is like an inning or two at your position. And then there's a guy playing second that probably also plays short and then you guys rotate. And so there's guys that'll, you know, like I said, go in the first round as a shortstop that, you know, maybe in your notes you mentioned a particularly good defensive play made and it was at second base. And you're like, this guy's never not going to be playing shortstop, but at this moment we have him playing second base. That's and that's actually another problem in the DPL and IPL stuff for the July two class is everyone thinks they're a shortstop or a center fielder. And so how do you uh how do you dole out the playing time? And apparently that's why those two leagues uh, tended to disagree about some things. Because uh, as it's explained to me, the IPL, if there's a stud four million dollars shortstop, he's going to play shortstop the whole time. And for the DPL, everyone's treated the same, and everyone plays one inning at a position, and then rotates to the other one, and then rotates to the bench, and then rotates back in, and and everything's more equitable in that way. Which you could argue for either approach, uh, right. but apparently those two leagues don't get along, and that was one of the reasons why.
0: Okay, so you got these four teams. They've gone through all this, like infield batting practice, et cetera, and then they and then they what played like a round robin in the afternoon, or.
1: Yeah, and the, in the four, I think everybody gets three games, so each team plays the other three teams in their four team group. Uh, and they'll, the, the, uh, the sort of guys that help make the roster sort of in consultation with the travel teams and college coaches and all that, because the scouts don't know about these guys at this point, not more than a handful of them, not 300 obviously, uh, they'll intentionally set up the pitching roster, because if you're a pitcher only, you can fly in, throw your two innings and leave, like you're not, some of them will take BP and screw around and do other stuff. Some of them are two-way, two-way guys. But the pitchers can kind of come in and out in a couple hours. So they'll stack it. Like this year, two of the best pitchers through at the very beginning. And then the there was one game that was televised on uh, MLB.com. We thought it was going to be MLB Network, but it wasn't. And they intentionally saved a lot of the better pitchers for that game. Uh, and then the rest of them are kind of randomly scattered throughout. And actually last year – Ash Russell was supposed to come and then apparently had like a state final game that was really late because they start late up in Indiana. And he was, I think, the last or like the second or third to last pitcher to show up. He like wasn't on the roster. He's like walking out on the mound and they're like announcing like, not on your roster. This random guy Ash Russell's out there and his first pitch was ninety seven. We're like, Okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> so he's he was the reason when some scouts were like, you know, chattering amongst themselves, like, Oh, it seems like all the good pitchers have come in. They're like, Well, last year Ash Russell was one of the last guys, so you gotta hang around till the end. Make well, where sure is Ash Russell about. these days? He went in the first round this year. He went, let's see, where would he go? Twenty-first overall to Kansas City.
0: All right, good job, Ash Russell. Yeah, way to go. Um, I guess good job, Kansas City. I don't know. Good job to everybody. You're all, y'all got to. to
1: turn in a card with a name on it. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, and then and so and so every kid gets a day. Basically, you're assigned to a team. That's the that's the day that you're. That you're playing with that team, and then when you're done, you're done with the with the uh, that showcase as a kid.
1: Is that yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. Mostly,
0: and so you yes. as you as someone who's looking at all these players, that we've we've absolutely addressed this before, the what the art and science um, of attempting to you know gauge a player's defensive ability by watching. Him, not just him, but him along with 30 other kids taking ground balls at shortstop. And you'd be like, yeah, I guess I guess that one is better than all the others.
1: Yeah, and I was, for better or worse, thinking about that discussion while I was grading the players at shortstop this time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was trying to see, like, well, made all the plays, seems to be in the right place, seems to get there. They're kind of hitting the balls in generally the same spot for everybody. was uh, you can cheat because you know when the ball is going to go to your right or left because uh, of, like, the progression they go through. right? Uh, but, yeah, I, w- I, I think I was a little more liberal with the, huh? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to, I think, last round would have been, like, second base, get him out of here. Like, take his glove away. Well, the uh, thing you're so, looking yeah, – I'm trying. See,
0: but that's, that's, that's how – I mean, that's also – that's how tools work, right? I mean, in many cases well,
1: – Well, I don't think you should be calling people names. <laughs> uh,
0: the, the, um, the way you're looking at it is to say, what are the things that I – as a as a uh, hypothetically objective observer, am able to am able to see about these players. And it's, it's you know players who have tools on average are more likely to work out than players who don't have tools. Because the yeah, other thing they, is baseball skills, right? It's like baseball specific that's skills.
1: Exactly the word I was about to say Sorry. is. Uh, so I was talking to some of the some of the July mm-hmm. two scouts recently. And I was saying how it seems like the the player that is currently or say maybe five years ago was more was becoming more valued, the sort of speed, defense, position value guy that maybe puts the ball in play, doesn't strike out a lot, but doesn't really give you much power, even necessarily walks, the you know, the Placido Polanco or whoever that guy is. That guy got more valued, especially you know, with base running, things like that. The last Say somewhere between four and eight years ago, that guy started getting more valued. And now I think everyone's kind of generally on the same page. Uh, that guy got more valued in the draft, I would say three to five years ago. And now everyone's kind of catch up to the same spot where they're all on the same page. And I think July two is now going through that where like last year, the Astros signed a guy for a million dollars that's like five eight or five nine and can probably play short, but I'm not positive. What's his and- name? Say his name uh Miguel Sierra he's on the Astros prospect list okay. uh, and I would assume he'll be in the DSL this year, so he may just now be accruing statistics uh, but he's like small dude might be able to play short, probably can, but since he's small, you kind of hesitate and doesn't have a lot of power swing it isn't you know in a huge bat speed or you know especially a lot of power because obviously he's a small guy and he was fifteen at the time when I saw him. Uh, but he was one of those guys where I went through the sheet and just kind of gave him, like, a squiggly line implying, like, eh, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not going to throw a number on him yet. And then at the end of the game, I think he went four for four the first day and, like, two for four with a walk the next day. And I was like, all right, presumably he can hit. This is obviously, like, nine plate appearances. I can't go too crazy with it. And then I went and asked somebody, like, you get this guy, like, five or six hundred? He's like, oh, he's going to get a million. He, he hits like that at every game. I was like, okay, then. So that guy kind of sneaks up on you in a showcase environment. Uh, but that's the guy that you give that I would now give the oh, maybe could play shortstop and then by the end of the summer I'm like this guy's pretty good I don't know like I could see somebody take him in the third round and then by draft day I'm like this guy keeps hitting we got history with him like I think someone's going to pop him in the second round like that's kind of how that goes now whereas I would say maybe 10 years ago in the draft it would be like, that guy's got no tools, we don't want him. Like, he'd be like, you know, borderline off the board for some teams. Like, we don't draft high school guys like that. And I think now that you have the big leagues making a bit of a shift, and you have the bulk of at-bats with a wood bat against good pitching, we have a lot of scouts there, certain scouts are told keep the box score for the game of all the guys we're watching that we think are good, uh, you now have the, the uh, you know, the, the conviction to draft that guy, and going along with this, some of the stuff I said before the draft that with guys like Dylan Tate that didn't really have a track record until like last summer and didn't even necessarily show us, you know, that he can pitch as a starter for 70 innings, we know more about a lot of the top high school hitters than we even knew about him and they're three years younger. And some of that goes for some of like the more well marketed, you know, by their agents, uh, 16 year old hitters. We might know more about some of those guys like Gilbert Lara, uh, last year. Than we knew about some, you know, first round high school guys, and you know, I would say probably not college guys, just because the fact that they're 21 means we're going to know more about them than we do about a 16 year old. But uh, there's, I think, there's a sliding scale where you can, you can, there's two or three years you can cover by just being seen all the time.
0: Hmm. And uh I mean, do you want to, uh, in terms of specifics, any names, or we're sort of addressing here a type of player, um, but any names in particular, either that, uh, either the player who. Reinforced for you his um, his talent or maybe or maybe surprised you? And I guess maybe the latter would uh, would be more the case because, you, in some sense, you're being introduced to these kids right now.
1: Yeah, uh, the Cubs uh, are, I guess, probably likely or rumored to be getting a shortstop from the Dominican named Aramis Adiman. It's 5'10", 150. Uh, the player you mentioned earlier, Andres Jimenez, is 5'11", 160. Venezuelan guy is probably going to go to the Mets. They both sort of fit in that group of premium bonus to a guy that probably wouldn't have gotten a premium bonus a few years ago. But now, that would, that would, that's, would,
0: now that's Dominicans, right?
1: Uh, Dominican and Venezuelan. Oh,
0: Venezuelan, so yeah. I, mean, I guess I, well, I was asking specifically about the, the Perfect Game Showcase. but
1: Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, I guess by definition I'm not going to know after that event because I need to have those extra month or two of looks where I find out that he's actually good. But, for instance, last year uh, you had a guy named Nick Madrigal uh, that I believe ended up going pretty late in the draft and is going to go to school, if I'm not mistaken, uh, who's like 5'8", eight, eight, maybe 5'9". That, that was the guy I was thinking about when I was talking about him. And there's a guy two years ago named Max George that I really liked at the perfect game national because he hit a lot and it looked like he might be able to play shortstop. And then throughout the summer, whenever, you know, he'd sort of come up in conversation, people would be like, oh, yeah, he's going to school. He's committed to Oregon State. You know, forget about it. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of like that guy. And I saw him during the spring. at a a, He goes to school in Colorado, but he was at a big tournament I was at in North Carolina. And I was watching him, and I was like, I don't know. He's the best guy on the field. He's just some pretty good players. Like, I feel like this guy is almost definitely going to go to college for three years and then go in, like, the, you know, 30 to 50 pick range. Like, just take this guy now. And then the Rockies gave him like $600,000 uh, late in the draft. And I was like, all right, good. I was the only one seeing that. Um, but, yeah, it seems like there's a guy like that every year. And uh, there's actually a guy like that in this last draft that I think nobody thought of as a pro guy named Deacon Lippitt. Uh, it's probably going to start as a freshman at second base for Florida next year. And he could turn into, you know, Nolan Fontana. Or if things don't go well, I could turn into Casey Turgeon. They were both sort of similarly heralded, similarly talented. One ended up going, I think, what, early in the second round, Fontana to the Astros, and then Turgeon, I think, got 100 grand in like the 11th round, just never quite put it all together after looking very good as the freshman. And he didn't, Lippitt didn't have quite the tools to where I think teams wanted to pay him a couple hundred thousand dollars, but I don't think it'd surprise anybody if he turns into, you know, a Nolan Fontana type guy or, you know, somebody in that general area. Was
0: there any uh, big velocity or power at this uh, event?
1: There was one of them. Was a guy I actually saw this spring. Uh, Alex Speas, Speas, I believe it is S P E A S. He faced Tyler Stevenson, who went 11th to the Reds uh, in the draft earlier this month, and he came in in relief. And we all knew that all the scouts knew the name. That you know, when we go see this school, Speas might pitch. He came in like the third inning, and his first pitch was 97. And we we're like. Okay, he's like 6'5", super lanky, really loose and athletic, and he'll like flash in above average breaking ball, but he'll throw you like six bad ones before he throws you another good one. Uh, but you like know it's in there. And, uh, I th- yeah, I think he's 6'5", might even be taller than that. And when Stevenson was coming up, we were all kind of giddy because we are like, oh, we finally get to see Stevenson facing like, you know, mid-90s velocity because he wasn't really on the showcase circuit last year. And then, uh, Spees hit him in the butt with the first pitch. And- <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. yeah, Yeah, Clearly not on um not on purpose. It was clearly an accident. Uh and so when he came in did almost exactly the same thing at PG National. Like same delivery, three to five bad breaking balls and three a good one. Everyone's like, Ooh, interesting. Like, well, oh, that's in there and he hit ninety seven and did the whole thing. And uh there's a kid I didn't know about in Tennessee, which is like that's in my area, I should have known about him, named Zach Lingenfelter. And he was ninety two to ninety five, looked you know, sort of like Donnie Everett in in rough terms, It was a a big guy in this past year's draft and was up to 97, 98, but I think looked like a pretty tough sign going to Vandy. And uh, I, I could see Lincoln Felter going on a, a similar road if he's got a high signability number. And there are a couple of guys that we knew about, Riley Pint who I've now seen twice because he came to this tournament in Atlanta that's happening right now. He's seen as the chance to go 1-1 as the, you know, maybe the best high school pitcher since Jameson Tyon. And uh, he has not quite met expectations yet. And some people are speculating just because – He hasn't really been on the big stage yet, and he's from Kansas, so he's, you know, might be a little bit of nerves getting inside his own head, but he's like 6'5", 180. He's got some projection, although he's kind of just a skinny kid. He's shown a plus curveball before. He's hit 98 before, but it's, like, never been at a huge, well-attended event and then he just went to one huge well-attended event and he was 94 to 96 for one inning and then like 90 to 94 for the second inning, couldn't throw a breaking ball for a strike and just didn't look a lot of sorts. And then I saw him this week and he was 90 to 94, like hit a six, threw a good breaking ball, but they were all out of the zone and the delivery looked a little out of sync and all the scouts there were just kind of rolling their eyes by the second inning. like well he hasn't quite done what we told him he was supposed to do. And I'd say the two other uh, big pitchers to watch for next year. Uh, one is named Jason Groom. Uh, he's from new jersey but he goes to the ing academy in uh in Florida mm-hmm. and uh he will be seven he's currently sixteen he will be seventeen for i think two months after next year's draft and he's already hit ninety six uh ninety seven for some people but at the events everyone's been at he's hit ninety six and will sit ninety three to ninety six for a couple innings and scott at least an average breaking ball and changeup now has a comically low effort delivery he's like six four six five. Uh, everything's there. Uh, it's like Brady Aiken at this stage and that age and that size was like 88 to 91 and had, you know, kind of average to maybe a little above average stuff, but it would kind of come and go. And this kid's got a lot of the same stuff and the same age and the size and delivery, all the same stuff, uh, but he's already hitting 96. So some people, basically, if we're only judging from what we've seen for the last three weeks, he's sort of the consensus best high school pitcher but no, Jason Groom you said? Jason Groom, yeah, with an E at the end. And uh but Pint, because of the sort of past but, and a little bit of mystery is up in that group until we can, you know, more conclusively, like by August, see him a couple more times and say that this is or isn't in there that we were told. And then the other guy that's right there next to Pint that's been seen a ton is Austin Bergner, who's in the Orlando area. Uh he was up to ninety three as a sophomore in high school. Uh he's been seen a ton. Uh, I saw him last year in Jupiter in October. Ash Russell was throwing on one field and Bergner was throwing on the next field. And scouts were going back and forth because I think they, one was throwing in the top of the inning and the other was throwing in the bottom. And so scouts would go back and forth and watch them. And the consensus seemed to be we would take Bergner ahead of Ash Russell right now. <laughs> and he was, I believe, 16 at the time. And we obviously know Russell 21st overall. Bergner was for, like I think, three innings, 92 to 95 with above-average curve and change and hitting his spots. And he's... Another one of these sort of 6'5 skinny kids that's probably going to put on some weight and clean arm action and delivery and kind of checks all the boxes. And he didn't go to the PG National, but then he went to Term of Stars, the other event that's right afterwards. And sounds like he was more 90 to 94, but when it comes to the summer and kids being young and all that, you really don't, you don't harp on the velocity if they've shown it to you once because you know it's in there. Uh, but next spring I would expect him to be that guy that we were, you know, that we saw in Jupiter and maybe at the next event he'll be that guy. And he's, He's also up in that range, so there's entirely too much talk about the 2016 draft.
0: Yeah, the uh, you mentioned one uh, the 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 one pitcher who was throwing one good uh, breaking ball and then and then uh, four or five uh, subpar ones.
1: Spees, yes.
0: Spees, right? Uh, Spees. Um, I was thinking about that with regard to uh, a post that uh, Chris King had written for the site today about. Uh, a Phillies prospect named Franklin Colomb. Maybe Colomb or Colome? I
1: believe it's Cologne.
0: Alright, we'll say Colomb. Franklin Colomb. And, um he was making that point too. He said, uh, n- n- uh more frequently than you're talking about with regard to speeds. Um, but, uh, you know, some mix, some, uh, a mixture of, of good and, and then less, less effective breaking balls from Colome
1: Or Colomb. Correction. It's kilome. Okay, Colomb. Went through my me? notes. The,
0: <clears throat> I is is that how
1: you feel at the end of the podcast? Can somebody please
0: kill me? Yeah, yeah. it's uh, an Italian. Please kill me. The um, here's a question: When does because flashing ha- flashing is a thing that happens in baseball and <laughs> On also. the field? Yeah,
1: yeah, in the outfield when people run on the field.
0: <laughs> right. No, but you always uh, you always get excited about the you know the best pitch that a, a prospective uh, professional throws. Or pr- prospective major leaguer throws because you say, well, that's, he ha- he has that. He has the ability to do that. The question is, is he able to refine his mechanics, uh, and just, you know, sort of physical memory to such a degree that he can do that often. Now, no pitcher does it all the time, right? Or, or, I mean, maybe, you know, pitchers are at the sort of higher end of the scale. They're more efficient. So, your best pitchers like Clayton Kershaw and Corey Kluber and, uh, you know, Felix Hernandez, Generally, they put the ball where they want it. I guess that's what you call that command, I suppose. Um, but it's
1: that is what you call that.
0: Yeah, you call that command. But I guess, I guess my my question is, where do you feel like? So if you ask this guy, if you ask, let's see, you ask uh, Corey Kluber, say, throw your cut fastball. Um, he's got a good one of those, or or maybe you know, whatever his, you know, throw your cut fastball to the back foot of this left-handed batter, and you give him ten opportunities to do it,
1: right? That it sounds like a true command, like you're yelling at a robot.
0: <laughs> right, but but he would probably do it a bunch of those times. I don't think it would be ten, but I also think it would be, you know, at least five and maybe seven, eight, something like that.
1: Yeah, I would guess seven or eight.
0: Right, and so the point is, I guess, I get because command, it's not like you have. Oh, now I have command. I've I've thrown enough pitches, and now I'm the owner of command. I mean, command, not unlike the, um, you know, not unlike a. Uh, a reliability, you know, command doesn't really exist at a point, right? It exists on a sliding scale. And so, I guess I'm interested in- And it you,
1: comes and goes kind of randomly, too.
0: Right, and that can happen too, or, or appearance to appearance, or within appearances even. So how many would you say, like, uh, you take a guy like, like Speed, well, I guess you sort of have gestured to it, but if you give him ten, you know, uh, ten opportunities to throw that curveball to the, to the back foot, how many of those do you think he, he throws? Uh,
1: one or two. One or two. Yeah, well, and I think that that also is another extension of what I was talking about before with the, you know, presumably lower upside pl- uh, uh, position player being more valued now because of the sort of the certainty you can have from seeing him more and more. I think that's extended to high school pitchers now that you'll see you know, one of the most common things guys will say is, you know, sort of like how running backs fall in the NFL draft because they're so sort of fungible. High school righties fall because they're so risky. And so if there's like any guy where you're like, well, I can't fit everyone into my mock draft, like you just drop the high school right hander. That, that's what you do. Um, which is why it's so interesting that this year we have Groom and Berger and Pint that could all potentially be one-on-one guys if everything goes right. Most years you don't even have one and this year we have three and they sort of presented themselves very early also. Um, so with a guy like Spees, you can you're seeing these players like I think I saw Tuki Toussaint throw nine times as an amateur, uh which is too many at some point. Like I <laughs> I saw too much. I've I can't I can't unsee it. That's I know too problem. much.
0: I actually just watched last uh last night The Man Who Knew Too Much, uh the Alfred Hitchcock film starring him.
1: Actually uh yesterday Tuki Toussaint also threw. You could have watched that. <laughs> <laughs> M made, made his only, brave system debut, yeah.
0: Only one of them was on a I uh, was on a uh, Concord coach bus going from Logan Airport to Portland, Maine.
1: Well, maybe the wrong one, I would maybe say. Maybe the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> but so I guess the extension of that is if you're now dropping high school righties because of the risk and sort of considering the totality of information more and getting more information, you're also dropping the Alex Spees of the world who – you know, knowing what we know now, if he was a prospect in the 80s, might have just gone in the middle of the first round because he had, you know, the highest upside. But now, uh, I think he would be a second round pick that most, I would say maybe half of the teams would say is more of a third or fourth round pick, but he'd go in the second round because one of the more upside-oriented organizations would take him there if he doesn't improve that. Uh, and, you know, may or may not sign based on, you know, expectations, based on what the family makes and... What he thought he was going to get at the end of the summer and all that sort of thing. But that player, uh, I guess is akin to the raw Toolsy high school guy that is also dropping in, uh, that in concert. The, the pitchability guy with 50 to 55 stuff that you've seen for three straight years, it's a high school guy. Him and the Max George guy are both moving up and the Alex Spees guy and the, uh, the, the Toolsy high school guy that you haven't seen enough of that popped up during the spring and you didn't see on the showcase circuit, those guys are moving down. Yeah. And I think it's all for the same reasons, but it's being, you know, applied broadly.
0: I was just thinking of some of the comparisons you were making of uh, Tyler Kolek, who went second overall in last year's draft.
1: He is absolutely that old school version of guy.
0: I just, uh, I decided to conduct my own Tyler Kolek status update. His most recent start, he faced 22 batters and recorded zero strikeouts. So
1: his, yeah, his stats this year could be summed up as a frowny face. <laughs> He has but a with straight- a, but with, a sm- with a smoke trail behind him.
0: He has a strikeout to wild pitch ratio of 3 to 1.
1: <laughs> well, and I I think I've said he on here before good. you can you can uh, find my rankings for last year's draft when I was working at another place that I've linked to a few times. Uh I believe all of the publications either had him 2nd or 3rd and mm-hmm. I had him 6th and every scout I talked I had him one spot behind Aaron Noah. Because as I've explained in an article before the draft, Aaron Nola is going to be a double-A and a big league trade asset that's like a pending September call-up for the rotation. Like if things go poorly, like you know, short of him just like can't throw the ball to the catcher, that's what's going to happen. That's like I'd say a below-medium outcome because mm-hmm. I think above-medium, he's already in the big leagues, which sounds like it's about to happen. Um, and Kolek will almost certainly be an A ball, almost certainly have more than three walks per nine. And almost certainly have like some sort of other problem, whether it's low strikeout rate or missed a couple innings, with, you know, outings of soreness or is in low A or, you know, whatever it is, will be something else going on also. And I was like, at that point, who do you want? And that's the question people didn't ask 20 years ago that I think people are asking now.
0: Well, and not, well, not
1: everybody and not uniformly, but people are considering that now in, in some form.
0: You've mentioned before that um, most drafts, whether you talk about them being a strong draft or a weak draft, what you're, what you're really talking about is like the first 15 or so picks, right? Yeah. So for you, was Kolek the sort of player – was he still in that 15 for you? Like, was
1: Yeah. I, I ranked him sixth. If we redid the draft right now, he'd still go in the top 15, but it would probably be at a double-digit pick. Okay. Um, yeah. He The upside was so high. Like everything was there in the broadest sense that he's got – the big, strong body, the big, strong arm. He's showing a plus breaking ball. He has some idea where the ball's going. He'll show you an average changeup every now and then, but never really threw it. Like, all of the things were there. It was possible he could do, like, say what Alex Reyes did this year, where it just all explodes and takes off, because Kohluk didn't even really start pitching that hard until basically 12 months before the draft. So there was some thought to, he's a super-athletic big kid that hasn't even really tapped into his potential. Don't nitpick him. He's playing against no competition in a really small area of Texas. Uh, he's going to take off. And that still may happen. And that was one of the things I allowed in that sort of Aaron Nola uh, situation was Nola's going to be the guy he is in two or three years. Cole could end up being way better than him, but it's going to take a long time, and he might have no trade value for some of that time. And I'd rather have a more liquid asset that's going to give me a quicker return that I'm more sure about when it's these two guys in general. And I would say even, these two guys sp- specifically, but in general I think I might lean that way also.
0: Yeah. Speaking of liquid assets, Tuki Toussaint appeared to have been one of those.
1: He is what, or is he more plasma? What, what form is he in?
0: No, what is that? uh Wait, what's that? Oh, he's a non-Newtonian fluid.
1: <laughs> you know, Interesting. So, is that like
0: ketchup? <laughs> no, non-Newtonian fluids are like um, they look just like water, but if you excite them, uh, they become like a like a gel,
1: essentially. You know what will excite you? To- if I if I remind you that Tuki Tucson. He's a friend of the
0: pod. He is a friend of the pod. He is. You know, he who's going to be a friend of the pod uh, uh, within 24 hours or 48 hours. Is uh, Len Casper? He, he, I talked with him uh, when I was in Chicago.
1: Really? So it's not officially on the record yet that he's a friend of the pod, but once it's published, he is. He
0: has not admitted to being a friend of the pod yet.
1: <laughs> but I have. He's a closeted friend of the pod. <laughs> he is. Yeah.
0: He is. I can make it. Uh, I can make it apparent at any time, unless he would like to. Uh, unless he, you know, it's going to cost. It's going to cost him money at this point.
1: Uh, One more thing I'd like to mention, because I feel like we're at the end now. Yeah, we are. Um, I just got a new phone, uh, and I had been wanting to download the Periscope app on my old phone, but apparently my old phone was so old, it wouldn't allow me. Are you familiar with Periscope? People,
0: Any dick somehow Periscoped his whole interview on You Made It Weird, I guess. Oh, did he? Yeah, I don't know. I I didn't know that. That's the first time to which I was... uh...
1: Well, so I had talked to Appleman about this because he had, he had brought it up, or maybe I brought it up and he already had some answers, but uh, we were talking about how to use this and our first instinct was as a sort of alternative to chats where you can see people's questions and answer them, you know, with your yeah. face. And then also, like say, you know, we're in a rain delay at like a Team USA Cuba game, you could do probably a version of a chat, but also you're like, you're at a place people would kind of like to see or maybe even show like, you know, on a bat of the game or whatever it is. Um I just got a new phone that can uh, the iPhone 6. Well, thank you. Um what did you make That it? can download. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. You could like it. a metal, please. Uh-huh. Um But I just got it and downloaded the app, and I sort of played around with it. And there's a map you can go to and look at at any given geographical area who is broadcasting. And it is some of the dumbest things you can imagine. Like today I looked at who was nearest me, and it was some lady walking through Whole Foods talking to her phone about how expensive Whole Foods – like it seemed like a hacky like comedy bit played out in real life. Did you watch some of it? I got about eight seconds in, and it sounded like she was performing a bit. While in Whole Foods, while staring at her, staring at the camera on her phone and, like, no. you know, play acting the emotions she would have if she was being a What is it sincere. doing? Is it just broadcasting what you're doing? Yeah, a podcast is an audio broadcast, and this is a audio video broadcast. Broadcast. A broadcast is and, and already a word. <laughs> yes.
0: It's it a broadcast.
1: A vodcast? A vodcast? It, it is a podcast with video that goes straight to your phone. You don't have to go somewhere and download it, and it's instantaneous. And it is, I believe, archived for a day and then it disappears. But you can only ask questions and get them answered, obviously, if you have the app. If you look at it in the web uh in the web browser, you can't ask questions, but you can sort of follow along and see the questions being asked and see what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh but if yeah, if you're in the app while it's live, you can ask questions, but for no other way can you? And just sort of clicking around and watching it, it seemed very It seems like this is going to be huge in two years, but I think it's going to take people a while to sort of figure out how to use it and sort of have celebrities catch on and all that sort of thing and probably also have the major sports leagues outlaw people using it at games. (laughs) There were people broadcasting entire concerts, and it it seems like uh, rights holders are not going to like this app. And apparently it it was introduced on the night or like a couple weeks before the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, and people were broadcasting the pay-per-view, which obviously isn't free. And apparently they were going through and like cutting off the streams and all that, but it was hard to cut them all, and they kept popping up. Um. Anyway, so the reason I bring that up is because the people that have listened this far in the podcast are, the, I think, a pretty select group of the people that would, you know, have opinions about me using Periscope. Yep. So here, you've been pre-selected, tweeted at me at Kyle McD, how you'd like me to use it and when and how often <laughs> and any ideas you have. <laughs> They've been pre-selected. Yes, you've been pre-approved to talk to me.
0: That's funny. That's funny.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that that was just what I was curious about. It was just another another meeting. And I actually, while me and Avlon were talking about this, about a week later, uh, Keith Law did basically the thing we were talking about. And we didn't talk. Me and Keith didn't talk about it. So he obviously had some parallel thought uh, of basically doing like a pre-draft chat. I think he was in like the baseball tonight green room, and it was like, you know, either you don't have Wi-Fi on a computer, or this is just quicker. I'll do this for twenty minutes. Hmm. So I don't know. Maybe that can eventually replace the chat. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I would be
0: concerned about is people I mean from my point of view, people seeing my face.
1: The other thing is all questions that are asked show up. So if somebody oh. wants to come in and kind of be a dick, uh they're gonna ask some annoying question and ask it over and over and you can't kick them out and it's gonna keep showing up and you just have to act like it's not there. But
0: they're gonna say terrible things.
1: it's but it sounds about like my chat.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. But you can you at least curate it a little bit at that point, can't you?
1: Yeah, you can make sure people don't see the annoying questions, whereas I believe with this there's no way to create the questions that show up. Although I've never done it before, maybe you can. I'm under the impression you can't though. So yes, the, the, uh, this and other concerns, let me know. This has been great, Kylie. Hey, you know what I feel like?
0: Making love? No, I know, I actually have a little bit of a, thro- a sore throat. I feel like, um, I feel like, uh, you've fulfilled your obligation to Fingers
1: Audio. Well, I, after all, I am the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. Yeah. all
0: right. Well, that's very good. Well, I, I appreciate it, Kylie.
1: I'm going to need you to stay on after we finish recording. I have a bombshell to drop.
0: Okay. That is a real been... tease for
1: the people because they're probably never going to hear what it is.
0: All right. That is uh, – how many medals am I going to have to get together to hand you?
1: It's going to have to be a box, a, a pretty sturdy box.
0: Sturdy box of medals. All right. Well, I'll prepare them. Uh, in the meantime, I will say thank you, Kylie McDaniel, at which point you'll say you're welcome.
1: I tip my cap to you, sir.
0: That has been lead prospect analyst Kyla McDaniel. I'm Carson Sistuli. This has been Fingerhead you.